All right. Well, that's a good place to stop, I guess, huh? Okay. We'll worship some more later. That's good. All right, children at this time from kindergarten to sixth grade would be dismissed for children's church. And I would invite uh, everyone else here, if you have a Bible, hard copy of it, or on a tablet or phone, open to the book of Matthew. To Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, We're in this series on soul care and how is it with your soul. We talked about identity and uh, we talked about who we are. We sang in that song about who we are. That's who I am. Never more loved than I am right now. Nothing to gain, nothing to prove. Uh, we talked last week about receiving the forgiveness of God. How are you receiving God's forgiveness? And today, as we talk about um, this idea of how is it with your soul, in response to the forgiveness that we've received from God, we forgive others. Um, so I know you just sat down, and I'm going to have to work on my timing on all of this a little bit better. But if you would, in honor of God's word, just stand. We want to try and get in the habit of this. As I would read God's word aloud, this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21 through the end of the chapter, verse 35. Matthew 18, verse 21. And it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or in some translations, 70 times seven. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven, here's the parable that Jesus teaches, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees. And begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the, servant, or then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus concludes this parable. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. And you may be seated. This issue of forgiveness and how are we forgiving others is that result of how we experience the forgiveness of God. As we experience the forgiveness of God, then it becomes our response of forgiving others. It becomes the natural outflow of our lives rather than the thing I should do. Sometimes there are those places where we do have to at times, though, be this is what I need to do. 
even though I don't feel it, I need to. You know, when we've been hurt because of the, the wrongs or the sins of others against us, a natural response, a natural human response is to want to withhold forgiveness from them. It's a natural response for a number of reasons. One, it's just forgiving when we've been hurt. It's flat out hard to do. Would you agree with me? It is hard to do when people have hurt us, when people have wronged us. Uh, when it's by accident, it's hard. When it's intentional, it is much, much harder. We withhold forgiveness sometimes because it's hard to do. We also withhold forgiveness sometimes because we want to get back at them. You did that? Well, I'm going to hold you at arm's length. I'm going to keep you away from me, and I'm going to punish you by not extending forgiveness to you. And even another way that we do this, and this is when we've really been wounded by others, is we don't forgive others as a way of protecting ourselves. So if I cannot forgive you and not be around you, then I can somehow then put up a wall that I'm going to not get hurt by you again. And so we withhold forgiveness from other people because I don't want you to hurt me again. And these are just natural human responses, aren't they? And so often when we think of forgiveness, we think, oh, I'm going to show them, or I'm going to protect myself, or I'm going to get back at them in this way, or this is just too hard to do. But in the end, you know who the one that ends up getting hurt is? Us. You know, when we withhold forgiveness, what eventually begins to happen is resentment grows. And what then develops is bitterness begins to grow. The Apostle Paul talks about a, a bitter root. Don't, make sure that you are forgiving so that bitterness does not get rooted into your soul. Grow down deep. And I think we could probably all tell stories about someone that we did not forgive. And over time, boy, it just festered in there. And it got worse and worse. And we just felt this bitterness, this anger, this resentment. That's the bitterness growing deep into our soul. And so it grows down this root. But a friend of mine also shared how, you know what, it's not just the bitter root, but it also, every time there's a root, it's not just what's below the surface, there's also something growing above the surface. And so there can be this tree of bitterness, this tree of unforgiveness, and the deeper the bitter bitter root grows, it infects our soul. Also, the tree of unforgiveness will grow, and the bigger that tree gets and the broader the branches grow, you know what happens on a nice sunny day, you want a tree (laughs) that keeps the sun out, keeps the light out, keeps the heat out. You can get under there and you can escape the sun. You can escape the heat. But what happens when it's the light of Jesus and his presence that wants to get into our soul and this bitter root has gone down and infected our soul, but the tree of unforgiveness and bitterness is also growing up and the branches are getting wide and all of a sudden the light of Christ and the presence of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit gets pushed out. And so forgiveness is not just about this thing that I got to do for somebody else. Forgiveness ultimately is the gift that God gives us to be free of bitterness, to be free of of resentment, to be free of anger, and to allow the light and the glory of Christ and his spirit to have access to our soul. So forgiveness isn't this thing that, oh man, it's what I should do. And I don't want to forgive them. If we can begin to see forgiveness as this beautiful gift that God gives to us because he knows what happens when we don't. 
bitterness grows and the light of Christ and the presence of the Spirit gets pushed out. I think we would all say, I don't want bitterness. <laughs> anybody want bitterness? I don't think there's anybody that would say, I, I want to be a bitter person. And anybody want to live apart from the light and the presence and the glory of Christ and his spirit? I don't think anybody would say that. We want that. I believe that's why we're here. We want that. So this morning we want to talk through what it looks like, how to forgive others, and, and a pathway towards forgiveness. There are sermon notes in your bulletin. We'll put uh, the fill-ins up. But as we do this, and as we kind of walk through this parable together, I also want to kind of tell a story uh, that illustrates something that, that I experienced um, in our former church in Emporium, something that our church walked through there um, in, a, in a specific situation of how we had to process forgiveness and forgiving others. And so I, I hope that that story and the, the kind of the path towards forgiveness will give you a picture of what it looks like in your own life uh, to forgive others just as God has forgiven us. So, a little background on that story. Uh, back in 2008, seems like a long time ago now, 13 years ago, it's a long time. 2008, there were a number of men that had come up from Mexico, the southernmost part of Mexico, Chiapas, down near Guatemala, very poor area, had come up to Emporium to work in a, a local hardwoods uh, mill. So they were in this sawmill, and they were working up, in, up here to make money, to be able to send back to their families, and eventually they were going to go back. And so as they were working, they were, they were, uh, many of them were believers, and so they had come to our church. And they were all Spanish-speaking, but the reason they had come was because we had two men who were fluent in Spanish. And so the Lord just kind of set this little divine thing, divine appointment up, and uh, these two men would translate for all of these men from Mexico, so that they would be able to participate in the worship service. And it was just a really, really neat thing that God was doing in that time. And so as we got to know them over time, as they were worshiping with us, and we got to know them outside of Sunday morning worship services, we began to hear about the church that they were a part of down in Chiapas. And that church met in this small wooden shanty. And God was doing good things in that church, and there were people coming to Christ, and more people were, um, were coming than were able to fit in this little wooden shack, basically. So they would pack this thing. I mean, there's no fire codes in Chiapas. So they were like, you know, wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder. But yet, they packed this thing out, and they had people, they had to leave the doors and the windows open because there would be people who couldn't get in. So they were outside of this little wooden shanty to be able to worship and to experience this time. And so as we heard about this, we also heard that they had plans to be able to build a new building, but the people there lived on between $1 and $2 a day at the time. And as they began to price out what it would take to build a structure like this that would both accommodate the number of people and provide for more people to come to Christ and to have a place to worship, and they had some vision for ways that they could help the community with it and stuff, they figured out that it was going to cost them 16,000 U.S. dollars. So imagine, you're living on a dollar or two a day for your family, and you now need $16,000 to be able to build a structure like this. So there were several in our church family who said, we need to help these, these folks. And so over the next months, 
we set about feeling led by the Lord. We set about the process of getting into raising $16,000 so this church could be built. And people sacrificed and they gave and they fundraisers that bless the community, but people in the community were like, oh, I want to be a part of that. They weren't even Christians. They're like, yeah, that sounds great. And they would give money or they'd come to a thing, you know. Over a period of months, through sacrifice and giving, $16,000 was raised for the building of this church. So we had set up, too, that there was going to be a team that would go from the church just to go down and celebrate. They were already starting to do the work on it because the money was being sent down as we, as we raised it. And it was going to be this great celebration. We're going to go down. And we went down. There were about 10 from us, from our group that went down. And we got to know our brothers and sisters down there in Chiapas. We had a great time. And uh, there was so much work. The back wall was the only thing that wasn't completed. And some of the roofing still needed to be done. So those were things that were in process. But we got to worship with them in their own building and just had a great time. And when we left, our understanding was that everything in the $16,000 would cover all the supplies. It was just a matter of finishing it off. And that we would go down, there'd be a group that would go down in about a year from that time and uh, just go celebrate the completion of this thing. Well, several months later, we got a phone call from the lead guy, the, those guys had now been back in Chiapas that had worked, so they're back there. We got a phone call from them and it said, we some obstacles and some things that we weren't expecting and we ran out of money. We're going to need another $10,000. Okay, we'd already sacrificed and done this thing, but it, everyone decided, you know what, we committed, we're going to do this, we want to see this, you know, we don't want it without a roof, we don't want it without a back wall, we want to finish this thing, get Get this thing done. So went about it again, sacrificed all of this, another $10,000 over months. That time came for the group to go down again, and they got down. And what they found was things had grown up everywhere. The roof was no further done, and the back wall was still as it was before. And what they found was that the lead guy had stolen about 10,000, over 10,000. It was hard to even figure out exactly how much, but he had stolen over 10,000 US dollars. Imagine living on a dollar or two a day and stealing over $10,000 US. You can imagine what we were feeling. There was anger. There was hurt. Thought we knew this guy. We thought... You know, we love this guy. We sacrificed for this family down there. It was clearly, it was one guy. And man, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And I, I as a pastor, you know, I'm the, I'm the point person. So everyone's like, oh, how'd that happen? You know, and I was like, oh man. And so I'm feeling this extra level. Ooh. And we're trying to figure out, Lord, what do we do? Do we like press charges? Do we force him? I mean, he eventually admitted, yeah, this is what I did. It was found out. This is, he acknowledged, this is what I did. Do we make him pay this back? That's like, if you're living on a dollar or two a day, you're not going to be able to pay back $10,000. What do we do? But it was eaten at us. 
And the Lord, the Lord took us to Matthew chapter 18. <laughs> and he began in the midst of that to show us that we really had no recourse in this but to forgive. And so as I tell this story, I want to walk through this, kind of tell how the Lord walked us through this. And and so it began with, and it begins with us on this path of forgiveness. When we've been wronged by others and we look to forgive, it begins with us remembering what we've been forgiven of. In order to forgive others when they've sinned against us and they've hurt us and they've wronged us, it begins with us remembering what we've been forgiven of. Look again at the beginning of the parable in verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king, and the king is representative of God, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. That's us. And as he began the settlement, a man who had owed him 10,000 talents, and a talent, uh, one commentator says that a talent would have been about 20 years wages. <laughs> okay, so think about that for a second. If, if, that's, if that's fully accurate there, at the very least, it's m- between millions and even billions of dollars. So Jesus, when, when he told stories to get people's attention, he would really tell stories. He would shock them. You know, so you can imagine you're listening, and here's a man who owes let's say, millions to billions of dollars. Since he was not able to pay, verse 25, the master of the king ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had been sold to repay the debt. Not in Israelite society, but in Roman society and in the societies around it would have been a common practice for a king to sell the people into slavery they would only get probably uh, about $2,000 or so per person, but it would be something. And so the king says, oh, I'm at least, there's no way this is going to be done. I'm at least going to get something out of this. I'm going to sell them into slavery so at least I can recoup some of my losses. The servant, verse 26, falls on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. Which we knew that's not going to happen. The servant's master took pity on him. Canceled the debt. And let him go. The man pleads for mercy. Pleads for patience. And the master takes pity on him. And cancels the entire debt and says, you are free. Jesus is telling a story on forgiveness to remind us that this is our debt. Our debt before a holy and perfect God in our sin, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God in a real place of conscious eternal torment called hell. That the wages of our sin, what we deserve, is death, separation, and hell forever. That's our payment. But thanks be to God, (laughs) he, through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, took all of our sin wage upon him. (laughs) 
what we deserved. He paid the price. He paid the penalty so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, that debt is canceled, wiped free, and we are set free or sent on our way. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Hallelujah. That was our debt. That was our debt. And so God is reminding, Jesus is reminding the people, the forgiveness starts when we understand just how much of a debt we had against God. And that God in the person of Jesus Christ has set us free and has wiped it. He's canceled it. And he said, you are free. I forgive it. And so in the midst of our shock and in the midst of our anger and even in the midst of our expectation, pay us back, which was a total impossibility for this man. God reminded me, God reminded our leadership and then eventually God reminded our church of this fact that we have been forgiven radically. That's where we start. And it changed the way we began to see the situation. It changed the way we began to see the situation. Our unrepayable debt that had been forgiven in Christ, this is where we started in remembrance of what we had been forgiven of. It's the beginning of the path towards forgiveness. The second principle, the second marker on the road and the path of forgiveness is to forgive as you've been forgiven. To forgive as you've been forgiven. Verses 28 to 34, the rest of that parable says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is the equivalent of just a few dollars. And he grabbed this servant who owed him a few dollars and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and did the same thing that he had done to the master, to the king before. Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Which this would have been very possible for him to do. This would have just been, okay, yeah, I'll give you time. I'll be merciful. Pay me back. But instead, the man who had been forgiven this just unrepayable debt refused and went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. I don't know about you, but how do you pay a debt when you're in prison? And so some of the implication of this is this man may never get out of prison. How's he going to pay when he's in prison? How's he going to earn when he's in prison? When the other servants rightfully saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Because the point of the, of the parable is this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. See, forgiveness of others in the way we've been forgiven is the natural requirement. It's the outflow of our being forgiven by God. When we have been forgiven, our role is to forgive others from the heart. So no matter how grievous the sin has been against us, and hear this, no matter how grievous the sin has been against us, it still does not compare to the cumulative sin that we have committed before Almighty God and that we have been forgiven of. 
That's, that's, a, that's a humbling thing, isn't it? And no matter what has been done with us, no matter how grievous, it still does not compare to the whole lump that we have committed before God. Now, hear me on this too. Hear that and then hear this. This does not minimize the wrong that was done to you. In order to forgive someone, we have to be able to honestly be able to say, yes, that was a lot of wrong. <laughs> we can't just sweep it under the wrong and be, rug and be like, oh, you know what? It's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And we need to be able to fully recognize that and embrace how big of a deal it was, but realize too that in light of our sin before God, ours is even bigger. And so no matter how big the deal is, it's still we have ours. Dr. Rob Reamer talks about the fact that when we are forgiven or when, when we are asking for forgiveness, that the level of what we are asking for has to equal the level of offense that we have committed. Okay, so, so think of it this way. He tells a story of his, of his wife and him, and, and he had wronged his wife, and he had come to her and just said, hey, I'm sorry. He acknowledged what he had done, and he said, I'm sorry. And she was like, yeah, but that's not good enough. He's like, what do you mean? I came to you, I asked for sorry. How sorry? I, you know, I recognize that I'm sorry. And what he began to understand was, he had committed a five-gallon bucket worth of, of offense. He was offering her a few drops of sorrow and repentance and confession. And he said it wasn't until he began to fully embrace everything that, had been, that he had done to her and the level of sorrow that he extended to her in asking, until that matched the level of offense, it was going to be hard for her to be like, yeah, you know what? This is okay. And so some of us have been extremely hurt. There have been extreme things that have been done against you. And we need to recognize that we need to feel the full weight, just to change that illustration a little bit, to feel and embrace the full weight of what has been done against us. Because if we're just like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I forgive them. We need to allow Jesus to take us on the journey of allowing us to feel the full weight of what has been done against us so that when we forgive and when we offer forgiveness to that person and release them, we're able to say, I have really recognized the full weight of what I'm doing. And I've come to the place where I can, in light of all the hurt that has been done against me, that I can still forgive. So there's a journey towards that. And it's okay to be like, yeah, that really hurt. Keeping in mind the big picture, that in comparison, what we've been forgiven of still is many, many five-gallon buckets. And so we forgive as we've been forgiven. So recognizing this, we took the step to extend the grace towards this man in Mexico and to offer forgiveness. We didn't, offer, we didn't seek criminal charges. We offered full forgiveness. 
One of the things we did do, though, is we felt that it was necessary not for him to pay us back, but even in small amounts, just to begin to pay his brothers and sisters at the church back because they needed to have some healing there. But we forgave, not don't give us, do what was initially intended, knowing you're not going to get there, but we forgive you. A third lesson that we learned, and that is that in forgiveness and forgiving others, that we can own our part if necessary. Now, there are some situations and sometimes where you have been the one who has been completely sinned against. You have not contributed an ounce to this, and you need to, to walk that. You need to discern that with the Lord and with others, living in the light with others. Has there been anything that I've done, especially in areas of, of abuse and things like that, the, the natural tendency for those who have been abused is to, to say, oh, well, you know, I did do that. I made them angry. Or I did do... No. Uh-uh. Nothing ever, ever, ever allows and gives the right to that person to be abusive. But in situations that we may have wrongs done against us, we can just sit before the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything that I've done in any way that I need to own? I mean, it may be like 98% them, but if there's 2% that I can own, I want to be able to do that. And, and we recognized that we put this guy, this brother in Christ, in a horrible situation. A man who would make a dollar or two a day, we entrusted up to $26,000 into his oversight. Can you imagine the weight of temptation that could be there that we allowed? We didn't do it on purpose. We just didn't think about it. We were like, yeah, let's go do this thing. And we didn't set up accountability and those kinds of things that there were multiple people aware of all of this. We just trusted and just assumed that he would do that. And we had to be able to honestly look at it and say, you know what? We put him in a bad spot. It doesn't negate what he did, but we had to own our part. And we had to ask for his forgiveness and say, we are sorry. We didn't think that through. That's our fault. And so there are times when in the process of forgiveness, when we're forgiving others that we also may need to just say, you know what, I contributed to this in a, in a way. And just own our part. When we recognize, as we sang this morning, that we're already loved, <laughs> that Jesus is more than enough, we can, we can, we can um, offer forgiveness and we can offer confession to others and say, you know what, I blew that part of it. That's my fault. Because we don't have anything to lose. We don't have anything to lose. So own your part if necessary. To move down that pathway, the fourth thing we learned is to forgive continually. This is what started the whole parable. Verses 21 and 22, Peter came after hearing about how do you go when somebody has wronged you, you know, first go one-on-one, then take another person if they're not um, repentant, then take them before the church. This is the way that you work through someone who has sinned against you, that's in the, the section before in verses 15 to 21, which leads to all this. And the reason that Jesus gave this parable, Peter says, and Peter came to Jesus and said, okay, in light of all this, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And, you know, you can hear Peter. Boy, Jesus is going to come and he's going to be like, man, Peter, you are awesome. Seven times? you." Unbelievable. 
Unbelievable, Peter, that you would forgive seven times. Man, you get the A-star student award. You're going above and beyond, Peter. Jesus said, no. (laughs) 77 times, or in some translations, seven times, 70, 490 times. Jesus, what's he saying? Just keep on forgiving. Every time it comes up, and even if they keep doing it, forgive. Now that sounds like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If they keep doing it, keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving. Yes. And here's why. Because forgiveness isn't about them. Forgiveness is about you, right? Forgiveness is about keeping the bitter root from growing and the tree growing up. And so even if they keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back and doing the same thing over, it's forgive. Forgive continually. Forgive continually. Forgive continually. Because as often as they hurt you, that is another opportunity for the bitter root to grow and the tree to grow. Forgive continually. But what forgiving continually doesn't mean is that you don't put boundaries up. Because you have to last on the journey. You have to work to build trust and pursue reconciliation. It doesn't mean that you just continue over and over and over to be hurt. It means that when they hurt you over and over and over, you need to continue to forgive for the health of your own soul. But you also need to do some work to try to protect so that they don't continue to do that. It's a loving thing to protect. See, forgiveness extended, it's a one-side event. It's me extending forgiveness to you so that we're free. But if the relationship is going to be healed, if the relationship is going to be safe again, if trust is going to be there, if there's going to be true reconciliation, it has to be a two-part solution. They have to own their part. They have to ask you for forgiveness. There has to be trust rebuilt. Reconciliation has to take place. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 to 21, Paul talks about the fact that we are ambassadors of Christ And he pleads with them at the end of all of this. Be reconciled to God. You see, Jesus has done all the work to forgive. The cross, the work is complete. He died saying, it is finished. The work is done. There's nothing to add to the work that Jesus has done on the cross. It's finished. But in order for it to be received, and in order for there to be a reconciliation of my life to God... In your life to God, it has to be received. There has to be confession of sin on my part. There has, to be, there has to be repentance on my part. There has to be faith in the work of Jesus on my part. Just because Jesus has, does it, has done it doesn't mean that our relationship is reconciled. There has to be the work of that person responding as I respond to them. So if I've been wronged, I forgive you. 
And I open the door to say, if you are willing, let's come and rebuild this thing. It's going to take some time to rebuild trust. When somebody's hurt you, it takes time to rebuild trust. Because the next time they're around, you're like, ooh, are they going to do it again? You know, if, if, if you're a parent and your child lies to you, the next time there's something that it's like, eh, are you going to give them the benefit of the doubt in the same way? No. You, you recognize, okay, I'm, I'm going to look at, I'm, I want to be open with you, but I recognize when this kind of happened before, I don't know that I fully trust you now. And so in relationships, we can offer forgiveness so that the bitter root doesn't grow, so the tree doesn't grow, shining out the light and the glory of Christ. But we have to also the next time be like, okay, I got to watch. And that's not being not forgiving. That's just being wise. And there has to be work on their part to be able to say, yeah, you know what? What I did was not right. Will you forgive me? They have to be able to offer the five-gallon bucket worth of, forgive, or worth of, of asking forgiveness to you. Trust is a time rebuilding. Reconciling takes work. And so just because we forgive continually, continually, continually does not mean we just say, I'm a punching bag, do whatever you want to me. We can build those walls of trust up and boundaries, but we have to make sure we do not let our heart grow hard, that bitterness grows, anger grows. Forgiveness is God's gift to us. In the case of our brother in Mexico, he just didn't have access to the money anymore. There were other men who had access to the money now, and there were four of them. They all had to know what was going on. There were regular check-ins that they would have. There were paperwork that they had to regularly submit after that. And there were a couple from our church who said, we're going to go down every six months to make sure that everything that is being told to us is actually taking place. So there had to be steps taken. It's not just, okay, you're good. Life is fine. Let's go and go steal another $10,000. You learn from it. And you build the walls in and you say, okay, let's rebuild this trust. Let's rebuild this trust. Let's rebuild this trust. Let's reconcile the relationship out of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a journey. It begins by remembering what we've been forgiven of, forgiving as we've been forgiven, owning our part if necessary, continually forgiving over and over, but also working, recognizing that trust and reconciliation are a process to build back. Share one last piece to this, and then we're going to pray. Worship team can lead us in a closing time of worship. Man, I referenced earlier, Rob Reamer says that he has resolved that he will die with no enemies as far as it's dependent on him. So in other words, he's going to forgive others and he's going to do what he can to try to live at peace. He's not going to die with somebody being opposed to him in his knowing that he's done everything that he can to make this right. And he's not going to look at somebody and be like, oh, I can't stand them. He's going to work through that. And that was very important that we understood that and walked this journey Because unexpectedly, that man in Mexico tragically died in a car accident. 
And I look often at that and I think, what would have happened if we had not walked that and we would have all been like, oh, and then we had found, oh, he died. Now, we're, now that's a whole other level of having to walk through forgiveness. You don't know, you don't know that the person that has wronged you, that something isn't going to happen to them that will completely cut off the possibility, even the possibility of trust and reconciliation, because that's where we want to get back to. And so when it comes to forgiveness, it's not, you know what, I'll get there. We want to do the work immediately when we have been wronged. And the sooner we do the work, the less chance that bitter root has time to grow. And the less chance that tree of unforgiveness has time to grow. And so when we've been wronged, we get after it right away. And I will confess, I'm not the best at it, but I can tell you from both sides, this is the way to go. So when we've been wronged, work through forgiveness. Forgive others as God has forgiven you. So as we close, I just want to pray blessing over you. We're going to have a closing time of worship. And even in that time, as I would pray over, if there's some areas of your life that you're just like, you know what? I need to begin to process forgiveness of this person. There's that situation. There's that person. Begin to do this now. Begin to walk through this. The altar is a great place to do that. You could do it at your seat. If you need somebody, hey, I need to pray through this with somebody. I need to share. Do it in an honoring way. Don't, don't throw that person down to be able to say, hey, this is what happened and I just need to get it out. I need to I need to be able to forgive them. Bitterness is there, or resentment is there, or anger is there, or I don't want any of that there. Because Jesus is that good. Amen? The light and the glory of Christ, he's that good. We won't want anything in our soul that's going to hinder him. So as the worship team would come, I just want to pray blessing over you, and then we'll close in worship. So Jesus, I thank you that you are not just one who teaches us to forgive, but you were one who regularly forgived as you walked on this earth. And even as you died, saying, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. I thank you that forgiveness is a gift from you. So that we would not be held captive by bitterness. So that anger and resentment would not grow in our soul. So that nothing would crowd out the presence of Jesus and his light and the presence of the Spirit in our soul. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the power of bitterness would be broken in Jesus' name as we step into those places of saying, I choose to forgive. Father, we recognize that forgiveness is a journey, that this is not just a one-and-done thing. And so, Father, I pray that you, by your Spirit, our great counselor and comforter, that you would walk us through individually those places where we need to forgive others. And that you would do that power work in us of rooting out bitterness, of, of chopping down trees of bitterness and unforgiveness that have grown so that your presence, your light, there would be nothing to choke it out. So have your way in our soul. Have your way in our lives. Ultimately, we want you. We want you because you're that good. In Jesus' name, amen. So in these, um, we're going to do 